when are the times that we need to intervene immediately and stop maybe something they're saying or the way they're speaking to us? And when is the time to hold space for them to release, acknowledge what's happening and circle back another time with them? Welcome to A Way Through, brought to you by Archway Academy, where education meets recovery. Archway is a sober high school in the sunny heart of Houston, Texas. We meet the individual educational needs of teens recovering from substance use disorder with care, compassion, respect, and rigor. Archway is the largest recovery high school in the nation, and we are here to remind you that you may not be able to see it now, but something different is possible. This is A Way Through. Welcome to A Way Through. I am your current host, Jamie Edwards, and I'm glad that you joined us today. Our message on A Way Through is that you may not be able to see it now, but something different is possible. There is a way through teen substance use and mental and behavioral health issues. When you subscribe, like, or share our podcast, it helps others be able to hear our message. That message is that students and worried families in the throes of teenage substance use will hear viable options for restoring their child's physical, mental, emotional, and academic health. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Archway Academy or on Facebook at Archway Academy HTX. So I hope you guys will go there and follow us. If this is your first episode, uh, feel free to go back and listen to all, all of our previous episodes. The tab to do that is on the very front of our homepage. It's a tab up at the top and it says podcast. All right. I'm very excited. We have with us a wonderful Houston therapist. Funny story that I must confess. We recorded last week. I somehow managed to lose that recording. So she was gracious enough to join us again this week, and we are going to get through everything. And I just can't wait for you guys to hear. I just feel like here in Houston, we have such a wealth of clinical services and mental and behavioral health supports. Miss Melanie Flint is a big part of that. She is the founder and clinical director of GEM Wellness and Counseling here in Houston. So with that, I'm going to say hi, Melanie. Hello. Hi, Jamie. I'm glad to be back with you again. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Your grace and generosity is overwhelming. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be here again today. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you. So uh, before we jump in to today's questions, I want to ask you to tell me a little bit about yourself, what led you into counseling, and then the origin story behind Jim, J-E-M. Name for counseling. Yes. And I'll get to exactly why it is named Gem uh, when I share that. So, counseling isn't my first career, it's about my third. Oh, and wow. It really uh, is the most authentic, and it's where I need to be and have needed to be. So, I started out, I lived in New York City. I did a lot of interesting things. I was, well, before I moved to New York, I was a collegiate athlete, I was a swimmer. 
and then moved to New York City, went into the entertainment business and did modeling and acting and poetry and all those interesting, fun things. And eventually made my way back to really taking stock and thinking about my future and what it is that felt right. And I went back to graduate school and went into clinical social work. So I was a sole proprietor. Well, I, initially I worked for um, hospitals and I was at Menninger, different residential treatment, and then opened my own practice in 2011, 2011. Yes. And then in 2018, I opened GEM. And so GEM Wellness and Counseling is my group practice and uh, it is named after my three children. So the first initial of each of their names is J-E-M. And, you know, they're really a big focus of why I do the work I do the way I do, because being a mom and having a robust, bustling family life is incredible and challenging. And my work is focused on supporting families. We need it. And all aspects of the families, from the children's perspective, the parents' perspective, mothering is a huge focus of mine, supporting moms through the shadow side of motherhood. Uh-huh. as well as the celebratory sides and all the successes. And so I build my practice around supporting members of the family and families and couples as a whole. Uh, and each of our clinicians, we bring a different aspect to that family support. So we have therapists who work with the littles and they do play therapy. And then we have wonderful teen whisperers in our practice, work with our teenagers and also Myself and others work with the parents, and we also collaborate consistently. We have team meetings every week, and we support one another on behalf of our clients so that they get the robust collaborative support that they deserve. So that's how we, that's how GEM came about and why I felt it was important to bring other clinicians in, how we work together to support our, our community. Yeah, one family at a time right? Yes. Yes. So it sounds like, you know, I say this all the time, just because I don't want anybody to be unclear. I am not a clinician like Sasha. So it sounds like to me as a lay person that what you guys are doing is you're offering a full continuum of care or the family system within your clinical practice. Cause you go from the littles all the way up through young adults and the parents. So that looks like a full service on the family system. It is. We treat grandparents too. You know, we have multi-generational families, you know, all live together or nearby. So we do that as well. And if we don't have what our clients need, we also have uh, strong connections in the community and we collaborate and refer to who is the right person, uh, whatever it might be. Right. So we don't claim to know everything and do everything, but we do what we connect. Yes, y'all do. Uh, you know what? That's one of the things that I hear so much when talking to people in the Houston market. We have a very close-knit, collaborative community around the adolescent mental health space. I can't speak so much for the adult space. Those aren't the waters that I swim in. But those that work along the continuum of care for adolescents seem to be very collaborative and wanting to share, hey, I'm not a fit, but I know five people who are a fit. And do you find that to be true about our community here in Houston, our mental health? Yes. I'm sorry to speak over you. I got so excited when you asked that. Uh, Absolutely. Our community. Now I have offices in Northwest Houston and Inner Loop Houston. 
okay. I will say the the greater Houston community, including all around the city, is such a gracious, generous, collaborative community. We have such a need here for support in our big, sprawling city. Yeah. And the network is just beautiful and generous. And we, we really do work together. Great to be a part of it. Yes. Yeah. So y'all are in two offices and you just named them, but can you do that one more time in case anybody didn't catch that really quick? Where are your two primary offices at? We have one office. Our original office is in Upper Kirby area, Kirby, okay. West Alabama. Okay. And our second office is in Northwest Houston, 249 in Cypress Woods. So Klein, Spring, Tomball, Cypress area. Okay, right there. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Awesome. We have a third office, which is is where we, and we'll talk more about this, but where we do our equine assisted psychotherapy and that's on a ranch. So we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I think that's a great segue to jump in to the gym equine therapy. I know when we talked the last time, I, I want you to tell me about that practice and how it works not only with your adolescents, but how it can work with families. And I, a couple of episodes ago, I interviewed a guy, Dean Quarterfield from Arch Academy up at Cumberland. And he was talking about how adolescent male therapy and male therapy in general can look very different from therapeutic models that are used with females. So my husband and I were talking about this the other day, and I was talking to him about our talk, didn't record, (laughs) and talked to him about how you had described the horses and the aspects that men can get from that, things like not having to look face-to-face, being able to stand beside, being able to have the animal as the therapy versus a lot of talking therapy and things like that. And he was like, Oh, I could see that. I could see that. So there's just, there's so many things that you're going to share with us and I can't wait for the audience to hear. So I'm going to back it up and just kind of let you share because I had read some incredible things about equine therapy and, you know, I know you'll touch on all those things that we talked about last time and even more. So tell us all about equine therapy and how it works. Uh, It's my, I just get giddy when we talk about it because it's such a precious part of, as a clinician, what I do. And equine assisted psychotherapy involves working with horses on behalf of people and building uh, understanding for their life, their life experiences, and how to build a healthy relationship. So in the team is a, when we do group work, there's always a mental health focused person, a person focused person. And then we have an equine specialist who's a horse focused person because safety has to be top of mind. Safety and just having awareness around the larger space because I'm focused on the people. So to think about why we use horses, the horses are part of the team and they're, they're the most, other than our clients, certainly they're the most important factor of the team and we're there to guide and support. So when we're in our offices, the talk therapy happens between the two, the clinician and the client, and there's, it's talking, it's, there's certainly silence. There's certainly other things we can do in the office. And when we're in the pasture with the horses, it is experiential. I know I'm an experiential learner and a lot of people I know really 
learn well and internalize more quickly when they're doing something and they can see it happening and feel it happening before them. So, you know, dogs are used for therapy. They're therapeutic. Many things about a dog relationship with the dog and other animals is therapeutic. The reason we don't use dogs in this therapy is because to build a healthy relationship, dogs are just not the best example. They're a great example of maybe codependency. (laughs) When you walk home, when you walk in the door, they are thrilled to see you, you know, giving you hugs and kisses. and, And there's a lot of love there, but to work with a horse and to build a relationship with a horse does come with some earned trust and connection. So horses are prey animals and they are very sensitive to sight, sound, feeling, what they sense around them, energy, their skin. They can feel a tiny fly land way back on their hind leg. They are very, very sensitive. Sometimes I'll have when a client is working on maybe how to deliver a clear message, how to be clear about what they're asking the horse and how touch sometimes can be part of it, but sometimes touch isn't part of it. And there's other things we use. Sometimes I'll have them get a lead line and they're at one end. And these lead lines are 12 feet long. I mean, they're really long and thick. And on one end is a buckle-ish clasp. And I have my client at one end of the lead line. I'm at the other end. And I literally tap barely the top of it and they can feel it at the other end. They can feel it. So when they are with a horse and the horse, let's say the horse has a halter on and the lead lines attached and they're trying to get the horse to do something that they want the horse to do and they're pulling and the horse is resisting and we do this exercise and they can feel how sensitive that the touch travels and the horse is feeling all of this, the tiniest touch, it really allows them to uh, have an understanding that something's going on here and just pulling harder may not be what's going to work well for me. It may get me where I'm going, but it may not be the best in building a relationship because what I'm teaching this horse is dominance over do what I say or what, you know, and that's then to be continued the session. So We use horses because of those things, also because of their size. These are 1,200 pound animals and just them being in the space with us impacts us. Some people show up so thrilled and excited. Some people are very calmed by it. And some people have other emotions like fear or they've had a a hard experience before being around a horse or something, a large animal. So that's another reason. So the horses that we use are trained for connection. They're not trained for compliance. So when you go to an equestrian center, um, most riding, all riding facilities, because this has to happen for safety and performance, the horses are trained to be compliant. They're trained to do what they're told. They're trained to be part of a team to get a, to accomplish a goal, to do a job. And at our barn, we have 13 equine that are untrained in that way and retrained for connection. And they want connection. They want to feel connected and close if it feels safe. That's our work is to come into their space. And sometimes the therapeutic work starts in the field outside of the pasture, just being near the horses. Sometimes we're out there immediately and we start with some some psychoeducation around some things, but we really leave it uh, more to the story that comes to the surface through the client's perspective. That really leads where we go in our work. There's some things that are um, more descriptive. There's activities that we'll do. 
there's ways that we have them engage with the equine because we have donkeys and ponies and mini horses and bulls. So we always say equine because the herd is a mixed, beautiful mixed bag. And sometimes we may start with something and we, you know, lots of times we see where it leads us in the pasture. I had an experience not too long ago, and I think I shared this last time we spoke, where uh, we had a teenager having an individual session and lots of family stuff was on her mind. And we were standing just observing, and we'll usually start with observing the herd. So we were observing the herd and there was maybe nine equine in front of us grazing and mingling. You know, they all have their own personality. They have characters, some are, you know, they're all different. So we're observing and wondering, you know, who's the leader and what are the relationships like? And she started to see some similarities through her perspective of family members. And so she really didn't want to get any closer. She was good. There was stuff going, she needed a barrier. And so we, we stayed where we were. All of a sudden, and by the way, on the way out there, she had observed our mini donkey. His name is Joey. And she thought, oh, how cute. There he is. He's so cute. So then we go into our, our session and we're standing there just kind of talking a little bit. Here comes Joey behind her. He comes between us and stops, kind of looks her way. She acknowledges him. He has to look up. He's really little. And he looked at her and stopped. And then he continued into the space. And her perception of that was, he's telling me it's okay. He's telling me it's safe. He's telling me it's okay. And that I can go now and do what I had asked her to do, a small thing. Mm -hmm. And she did. And she went with him and they were just partners the whole time. He stayed right by her. It was just, that's one small example of how they really support us in the work and provide. Now, another client may have had a different story of what Joey was saying, but for her, that was pivotal in that session. And there's so many stories like that. I'll share one more, if you don't mind, just came to mind. It was just actually last week after we had spoken, you and I. And we had a group of adults and, you know, the weather's starting to get warm here. So we were fine. We found some shade under some canopy of trees and lots of pockets of shade on the ranch. The horses can be anywhere they choose. They're at Liberty. They live in their herd. They're not stalled. And so uh, it's interesting where they choose to be. Sometimes we'll be out there and they will be scattered and far away from us. And that's, and one or two are close by. Last Friday, five to seven, I would say, maybe six, let's say six, six equine, slowly, we were just processing and talking about the the activity, came into our space. We were under these trees, face in, came in. One of them put their head, rested on top of one of the clients just to be, well, he thought it was adorable and loved it and thought she wanted to be close with him, which was wonderful. And so she rested there. A couple others came and leaned against people. Some of them came in and started grazing with us, near us. And they really wanted to be as close as possible. And everybody had an idea of what that meant for them. And it became a really rich part of the session. Sometimes we do hands-on work with the horses, and that's really powerful. And sometimes the, the objective is really to, through connection without touching, do something that we do, that we prescribed with the horses, whether it's taking a walk together, bringing them to a certain place and, you know, having a a conversation. So sometimes it involves talking and sometimes it involves really doing that parallel process like you described earlier, where talking is just secondary and we're there for support. Yeah. So I think I love your analogy. We did talk about it last time. You know, 
I don't know why people get cats other than obviously, they, <laughs> but cats may or may not like people back, but you know, dogs just do. And I love, I love every time that I walk in my home, my dog thinks I'm the most magical thing. And he's always, always, never, not one time has he not been happy to see me. <laughs> and so, you know, I've, I've got my codependency issues, so I love it. I love that he, we all do. That much. Yeah. he loves that. But, you know, a guy that I interviewed, um, and actually we're very excited, Dr. Brad Reedy, I interviewed him last week, and he's actually going to be the speaker for our luncheon this year in October, and we're very excited about it. And he wrote a book called The Journey of the Heroic Parent. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book or not, but it's a great book, especially for our families and the struggles that we find ourselves in with our children. And talking about like a lot of what he says, the dents and the dings that we metaphorically do to our kids, that our parents metaphorically dented and dinged us. That so much of that, when you trace it back, is really about attachment issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you, I, I was just thinking of all this, when you were talking about some of the stories that you shared and knowing that the horses are used rather than dogs because they give immediate feedback to a rider or a handler. And like my dog's immediate feedback is always, I love you. You're great. Don't leave me. I want you here. <laughs> Take me with you if you leave. <laughs> but a horse's is not. So we get a more sounds like a more realistic, balanced feedback from horses. But those interactions that that donkey had when he came up beside the girl or the horse that came and put their, that sounds like attachment. So do you find that y'all are able to discuss attachment and other clinical ideas around that when you're working with the animals? It's a large part of what we can talk about. Yeah, we talk about what what uh, certainly what comes up for the client and what is important for them and attachment and building relationships, setting boundaries, having responsibility, having mm -hmm. compassion, being clear and asking for our needs to be met. How do we do that? When do we do that? Right. When do we check out and shut down? Where is our where is our window of tolerance and where is the horses? Yeah. And do we blow through it because we have a need that that is feels urgent and what what's the natural consequence of that all of it shows up it's a great modality for for folks in recovery yeah oh yeah and uh, eating disorders and trauma and relationships it's just so so much can happen out there and the work around attachment uh -huh. you know when a horse it happens I'll tell you it's a really glaring kind of example that comes up is when a horse walks away, it brings up a lot for us humans because mm -hmm. when we are walked away from, we have a pretty intense experience. And I hear a lot, well, they just don't like me or they don't want to be with me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just a beautiful time to stop and really check our story about what might else might be going on. It's really useful to bring back to human relationships. I would imagine very much so. And I, and I, again, I just make up in my head that you know, and practicing those boundaries that you're talking about. And, and I want to go to that here in just a minute. But for those who oftentimes we as parents will set boundaries with our kids as we're trying to get, you know, 
stabilize our family systems after there has been uh, damage done through self-harm, eating disorder, substance use, whatever the issue may be that uh, either we as parents or our children have struggled with trying to come back to balance. The child or the adult may be setting boundaries and the opposing person may just blow through those boundaries as if they don't exist, right? But I would imagine if you're practicing that and you violate a boundary that a horse has just innately established, it is very like the horse will walk away, step back, somehow disengage. That's what I make up. And so it's like a very clear, that's what happens when you cross a boundary. Does that happen? It does. It does happen. A more subtle response could be that the horse dissociates. Okay. Something that is happens with people too, where we are, if you look at it from the child's perspective, the parent blows through our boundaries over and over again. We just start just fine or just, you know, <laughs> I know my child just listens. And then, you know, like, did you hear what I said? No, but Okay. So really working on that communication and what is it, if the horse is walking away or the horse is backing away or the horse's ears change and there's some, we learn about horse language and it's around pressure and the horses share, they communicate in different ways. So watching for those things, what might be going on outside of me? Because when we're in pain, we're very Uh self-focused. For sure. With all of that in mind um, and knowing that you are a mother of two high schoolers and then a little, you know, you're right there in the thick of parenting and knowing what goes with the different ages and what parents like firsthand experience, yours is firsthand experience of what parents are dealing with. And, you know, a lot of times I know I did, uh, many parents want the identified child, whether they've been identified for a self-harm or a behavior pattern or a misuse, whatever it is, the identified child, if we can get him or her better, then, then we're fine. Like the only thing that's wrong here is the identified individual. And so we seek out therapy for our children. We don't necessarily seek it out for us. We don't necessarily seek it out for the family, but we seek it out for the one that we have identified as the air quote problem. There was a blog that was recently posted. And, and let me just say, I think therapy is a tool that everyone should have in their toolbox. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in wanting to get your child help. There's nothing wrong in you wanting to get help. And there's nothing wrong with getting help for the family system. All those that are along the continuum of care that support and participate and encourage the family. With that said, this young man writes, he's a former client, I believe. And he says, parents had placed him in counseling when he was a child because of some things that were going on in their family dynamic. Then he goes on to write, there were four things that I wished I had known before my first appointment. Number one, I wish that it had been made clear to me that I had done nothing wrong to have to go to counseling. Mm. So important. So important. Yes. 
And I'm, I wonder, Jamie, would you like me to speak about each of these as we go? Would that be helpful? Yeah. Or yeah. I can run through all four and then we can come back to each one. Okay. So it was clear to me that I had done, I wish that it had been made clear to me that I had had done nothing wrong to have to go to counseling. I also wished I had been asked my opinion about my counselor. I wish that we, meaning his family, had talked about my experience more outside of my sessions with my counselor. And then his final wish is that I wish I would have known that it is common people to be in counsel. Glad you brought that blog up again, because it is so powerful to hear. It's a bird's eye view of someone's experience. And this young man really wanted his story heard. He reached out and and really wanted this to be shared. So we said yes and made sure it was, you know, anonymous for him. And he really wanted his voice heard. So these three, these four things are not uncommon. I hear them in our work. And uh, yes, all the reasons we seek support and therapeutic supports, one of those things we can seek in our toolbox for our, our families and our children. It is a great resource. The communication around why it's happening. There may be an event that happens. And of course, everybody knows he needs help and let's get him support or her. The, the message that this isn't a punishment. This is simply more support, a different voice, a safe space. And, and it can feel awkward talking to a stranger and going to somewhere that's new and building that alliance and really that trust that this is a safe space. Teenagers need to be reminded that parents don't have access to everything we talk about. There's a few reasons that we need to contact parents and they're around safety. If there is something that needs to be discussed for with, my, with our clients, we always make sure our clients know and we work with them on what will be shared, why we need to share it, and we ask them to share before we do. So we want to give the control and the empowerment to the client that uh, this is a tool for their toolbox. And parents can feel, and being a parent, I know, can feel that desperate need to just make them okay. Uh Make my kiddo whole again. They're hurting. I don't want them to hurt. And when a child's in crisis, the family is in crisis. And we all have to look at our parts without blame and shame and stuff. It's just, it is, we are a family and we do impact one another. Really a holistic view of that healing, giving them the opinion of their counselor. Yeah. There's an appropriate level of power there that is useful. And whether they get to choose, whether it's a man or a woman or, you know, the style that they use or you know, let them meet a few people, you know, that's really useful to get them. We all want to feel good where we go have these conversations. They're very intimate. These conversations, we talk about right. the inner workings of our heart. Important mm-hmm. that we feel comfortable. The, the number three, talking outside the session. And I, with, whenever we work with teens or children, we usually encourage parents to have um, their own therapist, but also have a coaching session with us once in a while on behalf of their child if it feels safe and appropriate. And we figure all that out with the families because as children and teens start to learn about boundaries and ownership and integrity and matching their values to their behavior, you know, what can this all look like and how does it feel? They will most likely start to show up differently in the family system and that can feel jolting. And sometimes parents really just need their own support to know like, how do I respond? 
Uh, this I, is new for us. We don't know this. So whether it's with us or someone else, again, we work with our client to see where that line is. It's encouraged that they get their own coaching and the talking about this session that's helpful outside the session. So we don't encourage parents to ask, what'd you talk about? And then our client feels that pressure to share what happened in the meeting, in the session. The talking about, what do you feel like you're getting out of it? What was it like? Have you, you know, what do you want to try out on us? You know, is there, are there things that we need to know to support you? Uh Certainly we're trying to do it with our coaching, but it's a rich opportunity in connection and growth for the, that relationship for them to ask their kiddo directly. How can, what do we need to do? Right. So that's their own, it shows their willingness to do their own work. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's hard, you know, as a, as a parent for a long time, and I still can go into it. Like I, it's exhausting doing your own work. And if my daughter would just do her work, then everything would be fine. And then I get to coast, right? And the truth of the matter is anytime you're in intimate relationship, husband, wife, sibling, parent, child, if one is growing and increasing in their capacity, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in a positive way, Mm-hmm. It just creates a void that if the other intimate member is not also doing work, they will and can be left behind. And it creates this chasm that feels uncomfortable. And that's a whole nother situation. So it's always something that we do encourage our listeners and our parents to know that we truly believe in the family system. That's why we love the work that you do. And that we want everyone putting forth efforts, everyone looking in the mirror and, and saying, what is, what is mine to do? What is my part and what is mine to do? And then not pawning that off onto someone else, because it would just be easier if they would do it so that I don't have to do that deep work. And I hear from both sides. I hear from the parents saying, we need them to get the support they need so we can breathe. We yes. have been so focused on this yes. event or this keeping them safe or yes. this issue that we just need to take a breath. And, and then from the client's perspective, you know, I'm doing all this work and they're responding the same way. And so, you know, so both sides have, whether it's, you know, just taking the space they need so that they can be clear and getting support to show up open again and not guarded or angry. It is a process. Yeah. And it is a family process. You're right. Absolutely. And you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. The fourth one that it is common to be in therapy. And we just talked about that, that it's, it's natural. We really want to normalize the process, whether it's in the pasture, whether it's in the office, however it goes and whatever is needed, that there's that normalizing of support. It's okay to be vulnerable and ask for help. So let me ask you a question. This is off topic. Have you guys normalized virtual therapy or are y'all all in office or do you have a combination? We do a hybrid. We okay. sure do. Mm-hmm. Like most practices, we went completely virtual for a while. Okay. And now we do a hybrid of in-office virtual and horses. Okay. So there's the three offices and then there's a virtual option for family members and individuals. 
That's yeah. awesome. So do you mind if we finish uh, these last few minutes talking about parents and ways that you work with parents? And part of our mission at Archway is to help parents by providing them with resources and education and individuals who can help them, lift them up and walk with them. And I know that you guys do that. And y'all have five very specific ways that you support parents and not only support parents, probably across a, a broad variety, but specifically for our listeners, you support parents through their teens and, and helping manage their stress. If you don't mind, I'm going to name all five and then can we talk about each one separately? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So five of the ways that we talked prior to this was holding loving boundaries, something that you work on with parents, allowing them to feel seen, heard, and valued, meaning allowing their child, their teen, to be seen, heard, and valued, realizing that it's the small things, modeling, and learning how to hold space. Mm. Oh, each one of those is, is equally important. So we'll just start at the top. I'll say a few words about each. Okay. Um, holding loving boundaries. So we all need boundaries in our life. And sometimes when we have an identified patient in the family, the boundaries can get harsh pretty quickly because we are exhausted and desperate. And you know that, that barrier is we blow past it and we get harsh. It's important to have, to, especially when we're all getting the support we need and we have uh, resources and places to release, we all need a release valve as well, that we can hold those loving boundaries and not either get too punitive or throw our hands up because even our teens who are, you know, struggling, they need those bumpers to bump up against and having, I kind of imagine it as having loving arm, I'm holding my arms up here around them with the boundaries sometimes can feel kind of hard, but they're, they're delivered in a way that is, this is how it is for now. It may not be this way forever. This is what we need to keep you safe, us trusting, you know, we're rebuilding, I think, in, in yeah. these places. So those boundaries are important and being cautious, being aware of when they slip into being punitive, we need to come back into being appropriate, natural and loving. Yeah. We look at our parents there. I'll say this, and this has been an awareness since becoming aware of Dr. Reedy's work and kind of doing a deep dive into it. And I realize now that my ability to hold a boundary is in direct proportion to my guilt. And as I can diminish and deal with and work with my guilt, I become stronger and being able to hold my boundary because my boundary was not developed to be punitive to my child. My boundary is developed to be protective of me. Like this is what I can do so that we can be in relationship. My guilt will just cause me to like completely dismantle my boundary mm-hmm. <laughs> and then lay down and say, roll over me. <laughs> Join us, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> You're in good company. So yeah. I'm going to go through the next four here. The sure. second one is allowing them to feel seen, heard, and valued. Teenagers and kids, some it's common, I hear, we know we were all kids once, we don't have a lot of power. And so the way we communicate is through our behavior and um, finding ways to allow them to be heard, whether it's through behavior and acknowledge that that's what's happening and that they're valuable, 
again, it's easy to blow past that when we're so frustrated and we're desperate. So being aware of those things and we support our parents with that. It's the small things. We know our kids and when they're teenagers and they might be in crisis or in recovery, it's important that we reach back in our mind and remember the quality interactions that were important to them growing up and pepper them in, whether it's a a drive at night with the windows down or a quiet walk or going on a coffee date together, going in their room and flopping on their bed and just reading a book next to them. You know, the, the small things that when we're frustrated or we're overwhelmed, we don't always think of doing. It's important to model the behavior that we expect of them or that we hope for them. Again, when they're working and they're in, in treatment or they're in recovery, it's important. And we've said this this whole interview to do our own work so that we can model what it looks like to manage our emotions. Uh-huh. We can model what it looks like to be curious instead of going to the judgment. Those are really important, hard things. This is really hard yeah. and it's also really vital. And then the last one is holding space that teenagers on their best day are going through a lot internally, hormonally, with friends, these important relationships. And then you add the other stresses of the kiddos who are at Archway and in recovery and in, you know, with COVID and just all the stuff that's layered on them. They need a space where they can release and it doesn't always come out loving. It might come out sharp. And as their parents, for us to recognize When are the times that we need to intervene immediately and stop maybe something they're saying or the way they're speaking to us? And when is the time to hold space for them to release, acknowledge what's happening and circle back another time with them? Uh And that's another hard one. So these are all challenging. And it also helps us along our journey of self-care and goes back to the modeling and all the things. So those are just some simple ways I, I, I figured to um, share the areas that we focus on with our parents and anything else that they bring, but those are pretty important. They are. And, you know, I would say, Melanie, that they're worth another conversation, like another conversation, either just about one or all that we talk about on the podcast for just five things. Yes. I, I do talks with parents. We have, whether it's webinars or things, where parents are really curious about these things because they want to know how to do it well. Yes. Yes. I, de- I, I see us working together in the future, <laughs> offering that. That sounds wonderful. Well, again, guys, you have been listening to Melanie Flint, founder and clinical director of GEM Counseling and Wellness, three locations, two offices, one ranch, and also virtual offerings, correct? That's right. Awesome. So tell us where uh, they can find you. Social media. Of course. Okay. There's so many places these days. So we are on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Those are our three social media areas. And just search Gem Wellness and you'll find us. You can reach us on our website and we have wonderful resources there as well. And that website is gemwellnesscenter.com. And that's J E M. J-E-M, wellnesscenter.com. You can call us at 832-560-9698. And you can email me, mflint at gemwellnesscenter.com. Perfect. Lots of ways. Great. We're so glad you joined us today. 
I'm so glad too. And I'm glad to, I'm glad we got a second shot to have another oh. conversation. Thank you thank so much you. for having me. It's been really special. Thank you. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. You too, Jamie. Thanks for listening to A Way Through, brought to you by Archway Academy. The views and opinions expressed by our guests on today's episode are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Archway Academy. To learn more about us and the topics we discussed, visit us at archwayacademy.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Archway Academy or on Facebook at Archway Academy HTX. Any links we mentioned and links to all of our guests on today's episode are just a tap away in the show notes. We look forward to meeting you here again on A Way Through.